New Testament reading is taken from Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 to 19. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Good morning, everybody. It's a, a real joy to be here this morning. My name's Johnny Greenshields. I'm a member of our congregation. I'm going to be looking at this part of the Bible for us this morning. A question to begin, though. Uh, what is it that makes you feel really content? What does it for you? I wonder if I went out and did a survey, what type of answers I would get. You know, is it the, the first square of a bar of dairy milk chocolate? Or is it the feeling in the night when you wake up panicked that the alarm's about to go off, but when you look, you find out, oh, actually, I've got a few more hours sleep left. Or maybe for you, it's something more serious. Maybe it's at the moment knowing that your family and your friends are healthy and well. Or maybe being able to look at your, your bank balance and feel secure about whatever is coming up in your life. You see, as humans, I think we're always really striving for that content feeling. You know, that nice, secure feeling that things are going to be okay. But because we like that feeling so much, I also believe that sometimes we go searching for it in the wrong places. Actually, we go searching in places that just can't really offer it to us. You know, the alarm always goes off. Eventually, the, the bar of chocolate runs out too. And sadly, medical circumstances or financial circumstances can change also. This morning, we're going to look at this last part of Paul's letter to Timothy. 
and I hope as we do so we're going to come to a better picture of the satisfying lasting contentment that actually only accepting the gospel can bring and on this giving review weekend we're going to see when we understand that contentment first it gives us reason and motivation to give generously to others allow me to pray for us as we begin father god this morning help us to have open eyes and hearts as we study your word teach and change us this morning amen can I encourage you, whether you're watching in the building or watching at home, or even you've got me on catch up later in the day, have this passage open in 1 Timothy 6, so you can see where we head, because we're now going to begin by looking at a first danger that Paul warns us of in this passage. And that danger is that we could be pulled away from the gospel through listening to false teaching. That's when we look in verse three, Paul is warning Timothy to be alert to the risks posed by people who promote different doctrines, different teachings, people who want to replace the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ with their own teachings instead. As we read on into verse 4, we can see all the reasons, all the effects this can have on church community. So look with me at verse 4 as we see that the causes it can have, about halfway through, he points out it can lead to controversy and quarrels. It produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. It leads to friction and depravity. The danger of false teaching can be like a poison for a church. It can be so dangerous and threaten the survival of any church because it can spread from within risking that it spreads and spreads before its damage has even been spotted. There are different ideas as to what was the false teaching going on in this church that Paul is warning about. But what we can be clear of was is its consequences. It's effectively creating an alternative gospel, a gospel that is about human achievement, what humans can do, rather than what Christ has done for us. And we can understand the attraction that might have to us because our hearts are so often full of pride. You know, I could so easily be drawn into the attraction of a content feeling of satisfaction that it is me who is responsible. I am responsible for my own salvation rather than drawing from the well of grace that Christ offers me. But in reality, that would be no gospel. It would be no good news for me at all. So when I feel like this, I need to look back at the truth of the real gospel that we can see in scripture. The Paul gives us this incredible overview of, if you take your eyes down to verse 13, just scan it with me, that the God who gives life to all things who is the same God who, verse 15, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But yet, in his sovereign joy, chooses to send Christ Jesus to us, to offer us that free gift of salvation. This is the faith which Paul urges Timothy to defend, to fight the good fight for, as Paul says in verse 12, because it is the only gospel 
that only faith, which allows us to take hold of eternal life. It's vital, isn't it, that we have churches that faithfully teach this. And our responsibilities as members is not just to, to passively consume it, as easy as that might feel, especially at the moment when we can't be in the church building as much as we might like to. Instead, each of us has a duty to keep coming back to this gospel. And we want and we need to ensure our leaders on a Sunday and in midweek groups and in the other activities of the church do the same. And likewise, as we support our church, as we review our financial giving today, I've been challenged reading and thinking about this to review the other ways I can support this church through prayer support for our leaders, through encouragement support for fellow members of my church family. My prayer this morning is that those of you who are watching, who are members of this community, would do the same. Let's move on and look back to the passage to see the second danger that Paul wants to draw our attention to. And he talks about this in verses 6 to 10, that we might be pulled away by the gospel because of the love of money. Let's have a look at verse 9 in particular, where we see that, uh, where he says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Notice, for example, here how Paul points to the all kinds of evil that the love of money can produce. It's not just one type. It's almost like that combination of money and a situation and the heart of a person can produce a danger so unique and individual and also potentially toxic. In the one person, it might provoke greed and desire to hoard up, like the rich fool in Luke's gospel, who just can't build storehouses quickly enough to contain all his possessions, who foolishly believes the way that he can find contentment is just in having a little bit more stuff. But in others, it might produce miserliness or a blindness to the needs of others. And this is true all the more. When we look at the world and we see that the pursuit of money it is a gateway, a pathway to, to all kinds of further evil. For the love of money, people will lie or steal or cheat or even murder. It's the love of money that produces this danger. Paul's warning us that when we make the pursuit of money the centre of our life, when we make it effectively our gospel, the thing that's going to meet our needs now and also save us in the future, the thing that we believe is going to offer us that lasting contentment. Actually, what are we doing? We are open, opening ourselves up to, as Paul describes it here, into temptation, a snare, a trap that will catch a hold of us and will not let us go. The consequences here are severe, aren't they? In verse 9, it plunges people into ruin and destruction. And as we look at the world, we, we see that destruction, don't we? Be it caused by unfair finances between nations or families blighted by the effect of debt. The dangers of money are all too plain to see. 
And those of us who have resources to help should, should seek, we shouldn't, shouldn't we, to, to play our part, even if it's just a small one, to, to meet the needs of brothers and sisters affected by this, especially brothers and sisters in Christ. Or maybe by doing that, by supporting a Christian charity who looks to resolve issues like this, like our partners here in church, AID, Anglican International Development, or, or Christians Against Poverty working closer to home. But it would be easy and wrong to think all the problems are out there. It's easy, isn't it, to point to uh, bad governments or gambling advertisements uh, and use it as a means to ignore the real source of the problem, my heart and its habit of looking for contentment and satisfaction in all of the wrong places. When I do this, it's a bit like driving up to the garage and putting the complete wrong type of fuel in the car. In fact, it's worse than that. It's a bit like driving up to the garage, taking a little side turn to the water and air place and trying to fill my engine with the water. It is only through directing myself to the right source, the true gospel, that I'm ever going to find the lasting satisfaction that my heart craves. And that is the, the, the true gospel, the gospel we've seen this spectacular reminder of in the middle part of this passage that in turn enables me to think of money and put money in the right place in my life. Now, as we look at verse six onwards, we see an alternative to these dangers. That alternative is the contentment that Christ offers. He writes, verse six, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. For if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So how can it be that the gospel offers a better route? In fact, the only route to a lasting contentment. You see, I think to be content, we need to be able to look to our past with a sense of peace and security. If I try to do that based just on my own actions, my own performance, we're always going to be left looking back with guilty feelings about the things that we've done wrong but can no longer change. If I base it on my finances, I'm going to look back with regret at that unnecessary purchase and think, why on earth did I did that? But the forgiveness that Jesus' death in our place offers gives us a means to look at the past with confidence, knowing it is dealt with, knowing it is sorted. We can look even at the very worst moments of our life, our darkest times, and know that Christ has dealt with them. Likewise, to be content, I believe we need to find a sense of security and identity in the present. If I place that in my relationships, in a person, if I try to find it there, even in the very best of people, Eventually, sadly, they're going to let me down. If I try to pursue that in my work, ultimately it's going to end up in disappointment and burnout and stress when it, things go wrong. Instead of this, Christ offers us a new, secure, lasting and beautiful identity as adopted sons and daughters. We are loved and known and valued. This means we can live for ourselves no longer. Instead, we live in service of Christ with the pursuit of his glory 
as our driving force. This contentment recognises that God has met our ultimate need. Then we can trust him to provide for our other needs too. This enables us to look at the stuff of the world in a whole new way. We don't need to hoard it to feel secure. Instead, like Paul does, we can say, if we have food and clothing, if our basic needs are met, with these we will be content. We can be graciously happy with the things that God has entrusted us. And this contentment loosens the fingers of our grip on our possessions and our money and should make us ready to share it with others. And finally, to have contentment, I need to feel secure about my future. When we try to find contentment through our finances, it's a route to stress and despair because there is always the next bill coming or the thing that we really want to have and it plays in our mind. We really want it and then we have it and guess what, it hasn't made us feel any better. But instead the gospel offers a way to feel secure about the future. As we live and work for Christ day by day, knowing that however things are, good or bad, it will not separate us from God's love. And it offers us a glorious, exciting, beautiful picture of our long-term future as we look ahead at an eternal life of joy and happiness and fulfilment. And this godly contentment should give us reason and motivation to give to others, like we see here in verse 17. But it's so important that as we, we end on this section, that we don't divorce it from everything else that we've seen, because it can only make sense in light of what we've seen so far. Instead, so much of what the Bible teaches about giving or what Paul points to us here, to the world it seems crazy. But when we see it in the light of the gospel, in the story of a, a God who of infinite riches, but who gives them so generously and quickly out of love for us, only then will it make sense. So, so what are Paul's instructions here? He says, verse 17, for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. That means having like an attitude of arrogance or, or superiority, nor to uh, set their hopes on the eternity, uncertainty of riches. That links back well to what we've seen so far today, doesn't it? He's saying, don't let riches be the place that you try to find your contentment. Because as we've seen so far, they will never give a contentment that lasts. But instead, where can you find that contentment? In God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And so what difference should that make to their life? Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Paul is, is clear in his command to us who can to share what we have with others. That as we recognise that money can't bring us contentment and our needs are met, it loosens our hands from gripping onto to our stuff so tightly. And instead it opens those hands in, in giving to others. Wouldn't it be amazing if this description in verse 18 was a, a, a description of our church family? That we would be a church known for being rich in good works a church generous and ready to share. I've no doubt that there's some of us who've had a really difficult financial year. 
as a result of COVID maybe, you've had to uh, withdraw from what you would like to give to make sure your basic needs are met. Even if that's our, our situation, all of us, this command to be rich in good works applies to all of us. We can all give something to our church family. And likewise, there, there are those of us, for example, those maybe in our encounter group for teenagers, you might be sat thinking, I'm not rich, I only get a, a five a pocket money for my folks. Well, can I urge you just to establish good habits of giving when you're young with the little that you have, even if it's just a pound a month. Just like the, the widow who is blessed by Christ, that she gives the tiny amount that she can. If we can give, we should. Because God wants us to be people who give because he knows that that is what's best for us. You know, I think it's easy to have our, our thinking about giving as being about only the benefit of others or even somehow as if we're the ones who are somehow doing something good for God. Well, in fact, if we look closely, we see that the most important reason to give is because we need to be people who give. It offers us blessing in the present as God keeps us from greed and the wrong belief that we can be our own saviour. And it offers us blessing in the future as we store up treasure for our eternal future with God. I'm not sure if I'm the only one who's had this, I'm sure I'm not, that experience of buying a gift from the toddler and it's a really great gift. But when you give it, you find that actually the gift itself is completely ignored because instead they just want to play with the box and the wrapping paper. It can be so frustrating, can't it? You just feel like, see the amazing gift, would you? But I wonder if that's what we're like sometimes. You know, we're, we're so distracted by the wrapping paper that we fail to see the gift, the gift of true life in service of King Jesus. In this passage, it's almost like life in pursuit of money and that which is true life are two large objects, you know, so large in fact that you can't hold both at once. In teaching us to give, God helps us to put down the one that is not true life so we can keep a hold of the one that is. Because life in service of Jesus is life in service of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A king of kings, the Lord of lords, who gives himself so freely to us first. So when we're finding it hard to give, we should first look back to him. A call to give is a call to be like Jesus. That is the path to true contentment. That is the path to life to the full. Allow me to pray for us as I close. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. Help us to find contentment in you. Make us ready to be generous givers. Make us ready to be like Christ. Amen.